Uh, all right, we are in Psalm 119. Uh, this is our last Sunday in Psalm 119. Uh, and then uh, we are going to take a break from our Psalm sermon series for Advent and actually be looking at uh, some of the poetic uh, in, uh, things in the uh, early or in, in the birth narrative uh, of Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at very similar things in that uh, in uh, Luke. And is it all in Luke? No. Yeah, it is all in Luke. That's right. Uh, and so we'll be doing that and then coming back to the Psalms uh, after the new year. So, uh, but continuing this morning in Scale the Mountain. Uh, so in uh, 1927, a guy named Thomas Parnell, <clears throat> who was the first physics professor at the University of Queensland in Australia, he started an experiment. This is 1927. So he wanted to show that pitch like a, a, the tar-like substance pitch, um, that though it appears solid at room temperature, uh, it's pretty brittle and actually can be broken by a hammer, um, though it appears solid at room temperature, it actually is fluid. So he wanted to showcase this. So he heated up some pitch, put it in a uh, funnel, allowed it to settle and cool for three years, and then he uh, broke off the top of the, the funnel so that it would drip out. In the time since 1927, in the 87 years since then, uh, or 80, I don't know, my math is bad. Somebody will correct me, I'm sure my math is bad. Jim, you want to get on that? Uh, <laughs> uh, since then, it has only dropped nine times. There have been nine drops of this pitch from this funnel. Both Professor Parnell uh, and his successor, John Mainstone, died without witnessing a single drop. In fact, it, on their website, on the University of Queensland's website, it says this. In the 86 years, this might be uh, old, old information, but it was on their website. I quoted it. In the 86 years that the pitch has been dripping, various glitches have prevented anyone from seeing a drop fall. No one has witnessed a drop fall live in this. They have a webcam, but actually one of the times that it dropped the webcam for like 20 minutes, the power went out on the webcam, so they didn't see it. So they've been waiting for this thing and just keep waiting, and it just keeps not happening. Sometimes, when we're walking with God, it feels like we're waiting on a slow drip. Something completely out of our control that we're waiting on all the time. Waiting just so long. And sometimes it feels like, God, why are you making us wait? Maybe you're waiting on a job or a relationship or there's a health situation in your own life or someone you love, and you just wait. There's some brokenness in your family that you're waiting on God to show up and heal. Or you're waiting on the salvation of family members. You're waiting to, to see God move. And nothing happens. It's just this slow drip. 
And one of the things that this does for us is to teach us that life is completely out of our control. And in fact, salvation is completely out of our control. This morning, I want, to look, want us to look in this last stanza of Psalm 119 about what it means to wait on the Lord for our salvation, something that is completely outside of our control. So we're going to read here Psalm 119, starting in verse 169. So this is the very last stanza of Psalm 119. O Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind you promised. Listen to my prayer. Rescue me as you promised. Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. Let my tongue sing about your word, for all your commands are right. Give me a helping hand, for I have chosen to follow your commandments. O Lord, I have longed for your rescue, and your instructions are my delight. Let me live so I can praise you, and may your regulations help me. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. Listen to my prayer, he says, right? 170. Listen to my prayer. Rescue me as you promised. The psalmist is waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord to show up and to rescue him. He has longed for your rescue, it said in, Psalm, or in verse 174. Now, why is he longing for this rescue? Why is he waiting on the Lord for rescue? Well, because of the promises that God has given him, right? He says, as you have promised. Rescue me as you have promised. So I'm waiting on the Lord because I, he has promised that he would rescue me. I'm waiting on the Lord because I know His character. He is good. And, as Jonah says, salvation comes from the Lord alone. So where else can we go? Now, the rest of this psalm, after this verse uh, 170, the second half of every one of these stanzas, or every one of these verses says, for you have, uh, here I'll just read them for you. For you have taught me your decrees, for all your commands are right, for I have chosen to follow your commandments, and your instructions are my delight, and may your regulations help me, for I have not forgotten your commands. Right? Remember, all of these words, as we said earlier in uh, Psalm 119, Commands, regulations, instructions, commandments, decrees, promises, all of these things relate to God's Word in its total. Right? All of these uh, words are different parts of God's Word, but in Psalm 119, they're referring to the whole of God's Word. Because uh, Psalm 119 is a Hebrew acrostic, and so uh, the poet is using all different words to refer to the same thing, God's Word. And so the psalmist is waiting on salvation from God. And clearly, there's a connection between waiting on salvation from God and God's Word. That salvation comes from God's Word. That there's this intimate connection. Why would there be this intimate connection between waiting on God for salvation and God's Word? Well, we have the fullness of the story. 
from the New Testament, we can see the way in which God is working through Jesus. And in the book of Romans, Paul declares this about God's Word and salvation. He says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the Scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. God's Word is sent forth by those who would come and tell the message of God's Word. And that's how you hear it and then believe it and are saved. Right? So we get this on a basic level, right? We're here in church. We get this on a basic level, right? But how does it exactly work? Because lots of people read the Bible or have heard the Bible preached but don't love Jesus. So what does that mean? How does that work? Well, Paul actually says this in the very next thing. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? And then he says, so faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the Word. Now why is it that when the Word goes forth, some people believe it and some people don't? Why is that the case? If, if there's this thing that we're waiting on, we're waiting on salvation, we're waiting on the Lord, and the way in which that happens is through God's Word, and God's Word goes forth, why doesn't it always have the same results? Why doesn't it always cause salvation? Well, Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, and he says this, This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts, maybe? Oh, there they are. Their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. They cannot turn to me and let, them, let me heal them. This is in the midst of Jesus teaching on this parable of the seeds being scattered on different kinds of soil. So there's seeds scattered on different kinds of soil, and it has different responses. And he says, I teach in these parables for the purpose of displaying this truth from Isaiah. That some will hear and not understand. So, so Paul says, faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the Word of God. And Jesus says, sometimes when the Word goes forth, it produces nothing. Well, why, why does it do this two things? How does this work? Jesus goes on to tell His disciples that they are blessed 
He says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. He goes on to talk about all the different kinds of soil. Now there's this connection in this section. I promise this is all going to come together. Or at least it did in my head, so hopefully that happens here. We'll see. But there's this connection between ears, eyes, and heart, right? Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. He talks about their heart. Just as in Isaiah it said, they will not understand, they will not see, they will not comprehend, for the hearts of these people are hardened. So what I want to do is focus in on another New Testament passage in 2 Corinthians and focus in on this passage to showcase for us what exactly happens when God's word goes forth and why we have to wait on God to show up. Okay? So all of this is kind of setting up. We're going to hit this passage here. 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 4, 6. All right? But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Therefore, since God in His mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and understand meth- uh, underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the Word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So why I wanted to read this passage, we're going to go to the whiteboard here in a second, but why I wanted to read this passage is because it highlights this same tension, right? It said at the beginning that whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. But then it says that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So how is one to turn and have this veil removed if they can't see because they're blind? Right? It's the same tension that Paul highlights in Romans. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the Word of God. And yet there are some that don't welcome this good news. How exactly does this work? How can we know whether we have good soil in our hearts for God's Word to land? How can we wait on salvation from the Lord? Or is it like waiting for pitch to drop? Completely out of our control. 
So I want to diagram for us this passage from, uh, where are we at here? Okay, yeah, right here. Okay, so what I want to do is diagram this passage for us about how this works, okay? Now, my artist skills are like my math skills, so just watch out. All right, so this is us, smiley face, right? Proclaiming God's word. What Paul says is, right, we proclaim God's word, right? We proclaim And it even says, as they read Moses' writing, so referring to the law. So, we proclaim the law, and we proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Right? And we are trying to proclaim this good news to people's hearts. Right? We're going to call this a little person right here. A big heart. Right? We're trying to proclaim the good news to see people transformed. And what it says is there's a veil. Whoa. I don't know why it's doing different color there. But what it says is there's a veil between here that actually prevents them from seeing. That they're blind. There's a veil that prevents them from seeing this. And it says that they are blind and unable to see and that they don't understand. This message. Now it says that when they turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. But how are they to turn to the Lord if God's Word can't get to them? Right? It says that they are blind to the good news, which is about this glorious light. There's these phrases that the text uses in various spaces that I want to kind of combine together here. So it says there's this good news about glorious light, and it says that there's a message which is about the glory of Christ. Who is the exact likeness of God. So there's this good news about the glorious light, the glory of Christ, the exact likeness of God, and yet they are blind and unable to see and don't understand. So what are they to do? It says, you see, we don't go around preaching ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. When the Gospel is proclaimed, the only way someone will turn to the Lord and this will change is if God does something. If God would come and remove the veil because God Himself would speak. God speaks. And this glorious light of the Gospel comes and it removes our blindness and gives us eyes 
kind of scary eyes. <laughs> scary eyes to see, right? We are no longer blind. We no longer don't understand, but we see, we see this glory of God. God speaks and the light shines in our hearts. But what is the light, right? Remember, the glorious light is the good news of the gospel about the glory of Christ, the exact likeness of God. But what does Paul relate it to? He relates it to speaking light into darkness in creation. How many of you have the ability to speak light into darkness in creation? No one. Right? I mean, you can talk to your smart home device and it might turn on a light. Maybe. It might not work. But not to create light out of nothing. What Paul says is, if the Gospel is going to take root, if salvation is going to come, it will only come if God speaks and says light. If God works... You see, it's something completely outside of our control. It's We are entirely dependent upon God. And yet, it will only happen when the good news of the glorious light about the glory of Christ is proclaimed. The reason we proclaim the Gospel every week here is because God has promised that when you do this, I will speak light into people's hearts. I will proclaim light to people's hearts and they will believe. But we are entirely dependent upon God for Him to work in this way. We can't manufacture it or make it happen. We are entirely dependent upon God for it to work. Jesus says the same thing In the Gospel of John, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And this is the key line. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And Moses, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. For this is how God showed love the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, 
Salvation is from God and of God from start to finish. Just as you cannot create light from darkness, you cannot create faith from unbelief. It is entirely the work of God. Nicodemus gets this. He says, this is impossible. How can this happen? Only if God will show up. Only if God will show up. But the good news is that the same one who can speak light into darkness can speak faith into our unbelief. We preach God's Word because Jesus says that He will do this by His Spirit by the preaching of God's Word. Right? What did Paul say? We don't have any underhanded ways. We don't try and trick people. We simply declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. We declare what Jesus has come to do. And in declaring that, the Holy Spirit will come and will awaken faith in those that God is calling to Himself. But we are entirely dependent upon Him and the Spirit's to do this work. We are entirely dependent upon Him and the Spirit to do this work. We can't manufacture it. We can't do it. We can't create it. No matter how hard we try. It's only when the Spirit of God is at work. Okay, well, maybe that makes some of you think, but what if I'm like the guy that missed the drop of pitch? Set it all up, but keep missing it over and over again. Or, looked it up and saw the image of this you know, beaker and the little bit of pitch and said, well, that's not very exciting. And I move on to something else. Right? Keep turning away from it. Hearing about this great salvation that Jesus has accomplished, excited about it for a second, and then being like, well, you know, I've got to move on with the rest of my life. What hope is there for us? Well, Paul says immediately after the passage that we diagrammed out, he says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. And our psalm this morning ends with, I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. The psalm at the very center of the Scriptures, which is all about God's Word in every situation in life and highlights for us all of these glorious truths about God's Word and about our salvation being entirely dependent upon Him, ends with us wandering away. This is the end of it. I've wandered away. Come and find me. Friends, this should give us great hope. Because just as salvation is completely dependent upon God and outside of our control, so is our staying with Christ. The Christian life is not about being the best at it. It's not about being the best Christian. Not for the strong or the put together. Not for the ones who never sin and wander away or fall short. It is actually for those who do all those very things, but have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ through the good news that you are saved apart from anything that you can do. It's a grace 
from start to finish. So, when we wander away from God's Word, we need to return to the Gospel of grace that we are saved entirely by the working of God. Just as you didn't create the Son out of nothing, you didn't create the love of Christ in your heart out of nothing. God did that. God did that. Remember back to the first time you heard the Gospel. Or the first time it clicked for you whenever you said, I am in need of a Savior. I'm in need of Jesus and I want Him. God did that work in your heart. And if God did that work in your heart and He can speak light into darkness, He can make you, He he can transform you and He can keep you to the end. He can keep you to the end. So we need to return to the gospel of grace, return to the glory of Jesus, who is the exact likeness of God. Return to the scriptures which declare this good news. And when you wander away, not if, but when you wander away, cry out, come and find me. You see, see what the psalmist does there? He says, I've wandered away. Come and find me. That's the cry of the Christian who knows that your faith is entirely dependent upon God. It's not a, God, look at me and what I am doing. It's a, Lord, I've wandered away and I realize it. Come and find me. I need you. I need you. My heart will not respond to God's Word apart from your Spirit working powerfully. Come and find me. And that's exactly what Jesus longs to do. The psalmist is longing for the salvation of God. Longing for God's rescue. And Jesus has displayed for us in coming to earth. Coming and taking on flesh. Coming and dying in our place. And then in resurrecting for our right standing before God. So that any and all who trust in Him can have eternal life. So the question this morning for you is not, well, what what kind of soil is happening in my heart? Where is the Spirit at work? Can I see the wind blowing in those things? The question is, do I want Jesus? Then cry out, come and find me, Jesus. Come and find me. I want to believe this truth of the Gospel. And if that is happening to you for the first time ever this morning that you've never trusted in Jesus and Him alone, please cry out for mercy. Come and find me. And for all of us, we need to be reminded of this truth every day because we will wander from this truth pretty much immediately when we walk out of this building. We will wander from this truth. We will get interested in something else, we will go about our daily life forgetting that the most glorious thing ever, the God of the universe revealing Himself in the person of His Son and showcasing His glory to your hearts has happened for you. And we'll wander away. And we need to say, Jesus, come and find me. And then we need to wait. 
for Jesus to come and find us. And there are seasons, friends, and maybe you're in one, in which you wait and you feel like you're waiting for pitch to drop, which apparently takes a really long time. And you know what? Sometimes that's just the Lord saying, you're not in control. You're not in control. You can't just sit down and have a quiet time and immediately feel so gloriously Christian. It's just not how it works. Sometimes we got to wrestle with the Lord. Sometimes we got to sit and wait. Sometimes we got to say, Lord, I'm longing for your rescue. Rescue me because you promised to do it, but I don't see it. And we just need to sit and wait. And if we will do that, if we will say, Jesus, come and find me. I'm going to sit and wait upon you. The psalmist says, because of his promises, he will come. He will come and find you. He will come near to you. So let's do that together. Let's sit and wait upon the Lord and see what he's going to do. We're going to pray in a moment, but we're going to, as we have been doing, we're going to recite this end of Psalm 119 together as God's people because the Psalms are meant to be read together and sung together. We're not going to sing it because I'm not going to do that, but because I don't have the same talent or confidence as Hunter, so I'm just definitely not going to do that. So uh, we're going to read together the Psalm. So Psalm 119, uh, 169, Let's stand together and read God's Word. O Lord, listen to my cry. Give me the discerning mind You promised. Listen to my prayer. Rescue me as You promised. Let praise flow from my lips, for You have taught me Your decrees. Let my tongue sing about Your Word, for all Your commands are right. Give me a helping hand, for I have chosen to follow Your commandments. O Lord, I have longed for Your rescue, and Your instructions are my delight. Let me live so I can praise You, and may Your regulations help me. I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten Your commands. Lord Jesus, we cry out to you as we wander from your wander from you like lost sheep would you come and find us would you come and find us that we would know and see the glory of you god in the face of jesus christ through the gospel jesus would you do that would you illuminate to our hearts now your goodness and your character, that we would lean upon your promises and wait on you. God, would you do what you want to do? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Why don't you stay